Talk Radio 96.7. We are talking sports in the Ozone for the next hour. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone, brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. Coach Joe is on assignment this evening, but in the house is Ronnie O. All right, Ronnie O in the Ozone, and the Eric Clark Foundation has given us $8 million so that we could pay the one-time appearance fee what? of Cougar Lou. Cougar Lou, welcome back into the Ozone. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you very much, Ronnie. We appreciate you lowering your appearance fee <laughs> so that we could afford you, and the Eric Clark Foundation bailed us out. You know, he, he flew you in on his Learjet, and uh, you can come on his yacht, he said. Uh, you know, he's never invited me on his yacht, but, you know, it's all right. That's good. Well, what yacht? <laughs> if you want to call us, 682 is... 1430 is the number, 682-1430. If you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. Cougar Lou, we were talking about some stadiums that we had visited, and uh, we also talked about the movie we saw, which was Facing Nolan Ryan. They've done a really poor job of advertising that movie. It was really well done. You and I got to go see it in Brandon, and uh, what were some of the things you took away from the movie Facing Nolan Ryan? Well, uh, I learned an awful lot about his uh, his background growing up, I, that he met his wife when he was in eighth grade and uh, asked her to the movies and never went out with another woman, and she never went out with another guy, and they were married for 50 years. Uh, I, I didn't know that about his uh, personal life. I tell you, he's such a great guy. You know, he's a, a cattle rancher, and uh, he just they, they showed him as a grandfather and a father, and he's just a great human being, you know, one of those guys that you can't help but root for. And one of the things that I took away from that, one of the people that they had do an appearance was Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson is the second-leading career strikeout leader in Major League Baseball history. Had 4,875 strikeouts. And he laughed when he asked about Nolan Ryan. He said, yeah. He said, I'm second. I'm only about 1,000 behind him. How many did Ryan have? Uh, 5,714. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. And he was so resilient. What did he pitch, 27 years in the major leagues? 27 years, Ron. He pitched uh, eight with the Angels. Actually, he came up with the Mets, and the only uh, World Series ring that he ever won was uh, with the 1969 Mets, and he was a bullpen pitcher for them. Uh, he spent five years with them, then uh, five years with the Rangers. And if you remember in that movie, what was really uh, uh, pretty cool is they didn't have a pitching – the Mets didn't have a pitching coach, and uh, the uh, California Angels did, and they picked, on, picked up on something that Nolan was doing, falling off the mound – uh, when uh, he was finishing his pitches, and uh, they thought that if they could straighten that out, that they could turn him into a, a, a they could polish the the gem, and they were right. So isn't that, isn't that amazing? And the, the way they that he explained that was that this pitching coach would go out on the mound in batting practice, or not batting practice, but when he had him throwing off the mound, and stand over there so that he couldn't fall off the mound to the left. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, you know, and that, that we're get when you ask me what 
you know, were some of the takeaways. And I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but I thought one of the funniest uh, parts of the movie was when he was in his uh, the autumn of his career and he was pitching for the Rangers and the pitching coach came out to take him out and the pitching coach was uh, Tom House, I believe. Yes. Yeah, okay. And he, he said Tom. Hank Aaron's 715th home run. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> he said, Tom, what, <laughs> Nolan, he came to, to the mound to yank Nolan and Nolan said, Tom, look down there in the bullpen. So <laughs> he looks down there and he and he said, do you see anybody down there who can throw better than me <laughs> after seven innings? <laughs> and then so he left him in and he went back and told Bobby Valentine, hey, you made a good case. Yeah, that's right. <coughs> that, that was so funny. <laughs> oh, man. You know, that movie was just so well done. They need to publicize that more. It was so well done. And, uh, you know, they started way back when he was with the Mets. And like you say, he really wasn't an integral part of that 69 Mets team. Boy, 69 was a great year in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, the Jets beat the Colts. And I think the Knicks, Knicks. didn't the Knicks beat the Baltimore Bullets back then for, I can't, the, for the I NBA think, championship? I think you're right. That was the Phil Jackson uh yeah, uh, Walter uh, Walt Frazier, Walt Frazier, Reed, Willis, Willis Reed. Reed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dick Barnett, yeah, yeah. That was a heck of yeah, a team. Yeah, it was a heck of a year back then for New York, and uh, one of the darkest days of my life when my Baltimore Colts lost to the Jets in the Super Bowl. But um, you know, something else that, that we talked about that, that I thought was very interesting was about the ballparks today versus the ballparks of yesteryear, and. Uh, Oh, one other thing I wanted to bring up on that um, uh, movie is that the one thing that we caught that we didn't feel was accurate, and, and it's sort of hyperbole, I think they kind of got caught up in praising Nolan Ryan. And, you know, they said when he went to Houston, they were more popular than any other sports team in Houston. And you and I said, no, mm-hmm. no, no, no. And you lived in Houston at this time, I did. right? I did. And who was the most popular the team? The Oilers. Far and away, the Oilers love you blue. Those were the love you, love you blue years. But one other thing uh, that uh, uh, that I came away with was that uh, Nolan Ryan worked in the off season repairing air conditioners for the yeah. first five for the first four <laughs> years of his pitching career. Yeah, he was the first million dollar player, but he wasn't making a million then. No, uh, that that's pretty amazing. And you know, he's um, he's um one of the most remarkable. He's just a, a down-to-earth, good human being. And I actually had an experience with Nolan Ryan. There was, when I was working, I used to write a stockholders publication. And I found out about this rodeo cowboy who was like 28, 29 years old, and he'd been paralyzed from the neck down in a rodeo accident. And they were having a fundraiser for him, and I don't know where I even got the idea, but I said, you know what, Nolan Ryan's got cattle, and somehow got in touch with Nolan Ryan and asked him if he would autograph a baseball for the fundraiser, and he did, and sent it to us. You know, How about that, that's that? just the kind of human being that this guy is. Um, I just came away really liking that guy. He's a family man, that's for sure. Yeah, and he's got a big cattle spread out there, and, and it seems Alvin. like he's done pretty well there. And he's had the same ranch manager over the years. <laughs> Never uh, fired. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the kind of guy, isn't he? 
they showed him out there, and he's still out there working cattle. Yeah. And how old is he? He's got to be in his 70s, doesn't he, at least? Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's way into those. Into yeah. the 70s. Wow. Well, I tell you what, let's go ahead and we'll take a break, and uh, we'll come back after we've got an interview with ESPN and Florida Gators analyst Nick um, Belmonte. Uh, Nick was a classmate of mine at the University of Florida, and he was gracious enough to come on with us. You're listening to Ronnie O and Houston Cougar Lou, Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hey, this is Teddy Dupay, former Fort Florida Gator basketball player, and you're listening to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone. Ronnie O, Coach Joe. In the Ozone. The Ozone is brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland. Coach Joe out on assignment this week. Ronnie O is in the house. But earlier this week, he caught up with ESPN's Nick Belafonte. It's our distinct pleasure to have with us that star of stage and screen, Nick Belmonte. And Nick... Gators from 9 to 90 know who Mick Hubert is, or hard to say this was. Well, you had the pleasure of doing his last broadcast with him. Tell us about Mick Hubert and what you know about him. Well, it, it's, uh, it was an honor to, to work with him all these years. And when he informed me last week uh, that he was retiring, I, I kind of thought he was going to make a, you know, like a, a victory lap and maybe be one year out. But he said, no, our last games are – are going to be the games we're doing this weekend against South Carolina. I was kind of in shock, <laughs> and then it hit me. You know, I, you know, I became very sad, and because when you're in the, in the in the booth with a guy for 33 years, it, it, and he's so funny. He said, you know, Nick Belmonte's always been maybe what a foot and a half from my right elbow every uh, TV broadcast I've ever done a Gator baseball, and it's true. Uh, we've done over 525 games together at least. I computed that to something like uh, 16, uh, you know, some crazy number, 1,600 hours or two months out <laughs> of our life. Uh, you know, it was just a um, – and and the great thing about working with Mick, I mean, it was always respect and laughter. You know, we, we never had a, 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 you know, a disagreement about anything, and that which is completely rare. You know, it's hard to find, but it, it, that was the truth. So working <laughs> with Mick, the consummate professional, and I think because – as they said, we're kind of cut from the same cloth. We were the guys that, you know, growing up had the transistor radio under our pillow, listening to ball games. And, and uh, so we could reference things from the, you know, the sixties and the seventies and talk about old players and broadcasters. And, and he's so funny. He goes, yeah, we would finish each other's sentences all the time. So, uh, you know, working with Mick was a, a total joy. Um, obviously it's going to be a void going forward. Uh, because you, know, you do something with anyone 33 years, that, that's, that's that's hard to beat that, right? No doubt about it. Nick, you had a really funny entry into the broadcast world. Um, you were doing broadcasting. You and I were in school, both broadcasting majors at Florida at the same time. And back when Sunshine Network started, tell the story of what you were doing and how you got started with Sunshine Network. Well, with Sunshine, well, actually, it was Sports Channel Florida. Sports that's, Channel Florida. That's who, that's who hired me, yeah, yeah. It was uh, Rod Meichler uh, was the head of uh, Sports Channel Florida at the time, and, and I think I think they only had, like, four or five things they could show. I think they showed <laughs> a lot of replays, and there wasn't in a lot of houses. And, and uh, uh, 
I had sent an audition tape uh, because I was working for WLRN in Miami. And a guy by the name of Rick Potlock gave me a chance to go on the air down there. I was selling copiers at the time. <laughs> and that was my minor league, uh, uh, one of the first jobs I had out of minor leagues. And um, so I went and did this game. He said, can you do FIU versus Stetson? And it was a great game. I think FIU won on a walk-off homer. And, and, and the announcer said, yeah, can you come back? And the only reason he called me was because the guy – who normally work with him went on vacation and <laughs> could you step in for him? And, uh, you know, the moral of the story is, you know, not work hard or you know, stick to your beliefs. Or is, the moral of the story is never go on vacation. He was Wally Pipp. I Wally Pipped uh, yeah, this guy. And, you know, Dale Hardy was his name. And um, he, he, it was just, I guess, meant to be. And the guy said, I'll come back. So when Sports Channel Florida became an entity in the state, I had all these audition tapes because I had done a couple of years of this WLRN and doing color analysts for, for college baseball and some minor league baseball and high school baseball. And I was doing every sport too, right? It was so funny. It was, it was a public station. So I was doing, not that I know anything about this, but I was doing high school wrestling. Um, <laughs> Well, you talk about faking your way through a broadcast. Uh, <laughs> we went to do a soccer game one time at Miami Lakes, and they had us go up on a crane and because they were going to do this overview shot of the field. I don't know how this – this is your, your public uh, uh, school money at work. So they, they hired this crane, and I went to my car to get something out of my car before the broadcast. I came back, and the crane already started to ascend up there. And they said, well, we can't bring the crane down. We can only bring the crane up one time. So I got my car and went home. You know, I missed the soccer game. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Which oh, is man. fine with me, by the way. You know, technically, that's the only game I kind of ever missed that I was scheduled to do. Wow. Didn't make it the crane that went up in the air. But I, we did, uh, uh, you know, girls volleyball and girls basketball and boys basketball. And, and those are fine. I mean, I know I know how to do color analysts for basketball, but wrestling was a challenge. Soccer, obviously, I never got to do. Um, <laughs> but I had all this stuff ready. So Sports Channel Florida um, hired me, and, and uh, then Sunshine Network ended up with the contract of the Gators after that. So then it became uh, Sun Sports, and then Fox Florida was then also part of it. And, you know, and then uh, around 2000, right around in 2003, ESPN called me and they said, hey, we like your work. Would you like to do, we're doing this thing, you know, the Super Regionals, we're doing all of them. And I ended up doing the first one they ever did was in uh, Columbus, uh, Ohio. And it was Ohio State versus, it was, it was a Super Regional with Southern Missouri or, or Missouri, Southeast Missouri State. That's right. <laughs> and uh, the coolest thing about that, Doing the broadcast was great and everything, but I got to meet Archie Griffin, which was kind of cool because he was the athletic director at the time. Wow, I got to meet him too uh, here in Lakeland. He came down here a couple times. Um, Nick, you were quite a baseball player at Florida and uh, made it to the minor leagues. What was your most memorable game as a Gator player? Well, it's going to have to be this, and I'd like to say it was the time I broke the SEC record in stolen bases and all that. Which still stands, right? 
Which, yeah, well, As a Gator the record. record doesn't still stand because back in those days, we were only playing the season I broke it. We only played 48 games. Uh, but now, I mean, they play 65. In fact, the schedule of the SEC, they were playing 70 something to 80 games back in the mid 80s. You can look it up. And then, then the NCAA, you know, put the kibosh on that and said, we all have to play the the same amount of games because that, that was back in the days like University of Miami and Ron Fraser they were starting their season like January 10th you know <laughs> and, and they were playing like four games a week you know they were an independent so they you know they need to beef up the schedule and that material they had great talent and everything but Ron was a showman and, and he would pack that place there was no uh Florida Marlins at the time and you know nothing it was the, the baseball to go so so the, yeah, that record eventually got broken in the SEC, but it's still a Florida Gator record. But to, to answer your question, uh, and it would have to be the game against New York Yankees in 1977 because that the, the Yankee team it, that Yankee team that we played against ended up winning the World Series, uh, you know, six months later. So uh, that was a thrill stealing a base against New York Yankees. That was that was pretty cool. Who was the catcher? Uh, Mike Heath. Uh, yeah. out of uh, Tampa Hillsboro High School, had a 10-year career as a catcher in the big leagues. Fran Healy started the game. Mike came in. Um, Thurman Munson had an injury in the spring training game, I think two days prior, so he didn't make the trip. Oh, man. And, and, but, but let me give you the roster. We lost this game 10-9. to We had a 8-5 to lead going into the ninth. They hit us with a five-spot, capped <laughs> off by Greg Nettles' home run off my – uh, off my roommate Mike McCarthy, a little lefty from Deland, and uh, and he always loves. He always tells me, "Tell that story on the air." You know how I gave up the home run to Nettles. Um, but but he, uh, the thing of it, the thing of it was, it was Roy White and left, Mickey Rivers in center, who robbed me. By the way, uh, best ball I hit all day. He, he went and jumped up and caught it near the warning track in center field. And uh, a guy by the name of Reggie Jackson was playing right wow. field. Nettles at third. Fred Stanley played short. They acquired Bucky Dent um, the following week in a trade. He had a rookie. I don't know what happened to this guy. Willie Randolph at second. <laughs> um, <laughs> Chris Chambliss at first. Uh, Mike Epstein, I think, was the DH to start the game. Oscar Gamble may have My um, gosh. played in that game as well. So that was that was the lineup we faced, and we had, like I said, we had, we had a, we had an eight to five lead in the ninth inning of that game. So, you know, get, getting a base, you know, getting a base hit against the Yankees, stealing a base, that had to be obviously the most memorable uh, uh, thing, especially since it was that great Yankee team that went on and won the World Series. Wow. Well, you know, the Gators, we joined the SEC in 1933. Didn't win our first SEC football title. 1984. Well, you were part of something even bigger and longer than that as part of as a Chicago Cubs scout. 108 yeah. years, and yeah. you actually got a World Series ring from Theo Epstein. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, that that was a surreal moment, by the way. Um, they flew my wife and I up to, to uh, Chicago, and it was Easter Sunday uh, in 2000. 17 is that week is when they uh, were that weekend they were presenting the rings the players I think got them on the Friday night but I actually had a broadcast in Cincinnati doing a college game for FS1 uh, that weekend and they said come on over on Sunday 
Uh, so my wife flew up from, from Tampa, and I flew over from Cincinnati, and uh, they put us up at a hotel, and they said, in the second inning, you're going to go up there in Theo's box and he's gonna present you with the ring. And uh, sure enough, uh, you know, at the end of the first inning, you know, there we were, and there there's this beautiful mahogany box with etched glass on it. You open it up, <laughs> and there's this glowing, sparkly old ring, and but. With 108 diamonds, by the way. Once wow. every year, they didn't win the oh World my Series. Gosh. That's how they came up with that, by the way. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was very surreal. And and uh, one of the first things that Theo said to me, he said, on behalf of Chicago Cubs, like to present you a World Series ring. And he gave me the ring, and he said, "So let's win another one this year." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obviously, that wasn't meant to be, but. I was I was honored to to get the one, and, and it's so funny in Chicago when when people see the ring. I mean, you, 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 at any restaurant they take care of your cab. I mean, they just love. <laughs> but but half of the people say to me, "Now, which year was it?" I go, "Well, it was either 2016, but." If you think I'm old enough to, to have the one 108 years old, <laughs> I guess you're insulting me. Well, one <laughs> so final question. Say, now, which year was that? But I, I will tell you this. I had a baseball inducted into the little Cooperstown. And what that is, and your listeners in your area, it's a short trip over to St. Pete Pier, the new St. Pete Pier. There's a, there's a thing called the St. Petersburg Museum of History, and they have uh, something called Inic something called Little Cooperstown. It's the world's largest collection of autographed baseballs. Oh, my gosh. And, and it includes one of the rarest baseballs ever, a signed baseball, and there was only ever two in existence, of uh, Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe. But, uh, there's like four Babe Ruths in there. I mean, there, there's you name the guy, he's in there. Oh, know? my gosh. Well, Nick, so, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And um, we'll make sure we get you on every year because our audience swells every time we have you on. <laughs> yes, there's two dozen people. I'd love to say hello to them. <laughs> and uh, no, I, I, I really, I really do hope you have a lot of listeners on this. And and uh, call me anytime. Thank Absolutely. you, Nick. Hey, the weather isn't the only thing that's hot. Ronnie O is hot, and he's in the studio, ready to talk sports in the Ozone. Ronnie O and Coach Joe, ready to go, brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. Joe's out today, but Ronnie is in. All right, Ronnie O and Cougarloo on the Ozone tonight. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. We're going to throw you a curveball tonight. I know you're saying, wait a minute, it's too early for the sports quiz. We don't have our dialing fingers ready. Well... 682-1430. If you haven't won in the last six months and you'd like to win a $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House, here's your opportunity. So, 682-1430. What is the oldest existing NFL franchise which has never changed its name? Is it A, the Green Bay Packers, or B, the Chicago Bears? 682-1430. You could win that $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. They're located at 5650 South Florida Avenue. They have over 40 strategically located television sets where you can watch your favorite sporting event from anywhere in the restaurant. And they have a drink and meal specials every night of the week. So that $30 goes a long way. Cougar Lou and I both love to go out there and eat at the Ale House. What's your favorite oh, dish out there, Lou? Oh, Ronnie, the prime rib is to die for. It That's, is. Oh, my gosh. 
I think tonight is prime rib night, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think they have and a special. And I came here anyhow. Yeah, I'm telling you, we, we knew you'd go out there and eat all the good prime ribs, so we got you in here. Man, we got somebody hungry and thirsty already. Man, they're on that. These people are hungry and thirsty. They've been to the ale house. They know how good it is. And we've got somebody on the line that is hungry and thirsty. Is that right, Clarkster? John, how are you tonight? Hey, great. You hungry and thirsty? Hey, always. All right. That's what we wanted to hear. Which is the oldest existing NFL franchise which has never changed its name? Is it the Packers or the Bears? Could it be the Packers? It could be. It is, and you are the winner. How about that? Hey, that sounds super. You ever been out the alehouse to eat? Many times. What's your favorite dish out there? Uh, definitely the fajita. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we were, you know, we were talking about uh, some of the old ballparks that we've been to. What's your favorite ballpark that you've been to? My favorite one? Yeah. Uh, it's got to be Fenway. Oh, I've been to Fenway myself. Yeah. Yeah. What do you like about Fenway? It's just the history. The history and the food and, and all of it is, uh, you know, they, they've saved the past. They have, and, you know, it's the oldest ballpark now. I think it was built in 1912. It was, In fact, I think it may have opened the same day the Titanic sank, if I'm not mistaken oh, wow. about that. I think it was April 14th, 1912. I think that's when it opened. And, uh, you know, I've been there many times, and I took my grandson. I thought I was going to have to finance this for 30 years, but I took my grandson and bought Green Monster seats. And uh, okay. he, he really had a big time and, you know, it was a real memory for he and I to go there and, and sit there. But the first time I went to Fenway Park was in 1978 during the Yankee Massacre. And I uh, saw four games and they lost three of the four and ended up blowing that 14-game lead to the Yankees and Bucky Dent in the home run. Oh, man, that was an awful year for me. Well, I remember a lot of that. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I tell you, I, I suffered a lot being a Red Sox fan. I've been a Red Sox fan since about 1959, I think, was my first memory of them. And back when they had Billy Mambouquet and um, Pete Runnels, and uh, you just rooted for individual players because you knew they weren't going to win anything. And uh, I remember rooting for Runnels to win batting championships and Mambouquet to win 20 games, and so that was something. Well, you know, Ronnie, back with those old ballparks like, uh, Fenway and the Polo Grounds and Forbes Field and uh, you know that back when they were built they were an afterthought they were whatever we have as far as uh, a scrap of land that we can put a <laughs> fence around we'll make it a ballpark uh, it wasn't the entertainment center that you know that we that we have today huh? you're exactly right yeah, even, even some of the minor league parks I'm sorry what'd you say John even some of the minor league mm -hmm. parts. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I remember when I went on the you tour of Fenway Park. Field. I'm sorry, go ahead. You can't beat Public Field right here. Oh, yeah, yeah it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely beautiful. One of the finest minor league parks got to be in the country. I haven't been to a lot of them, but um, it's really got to be one of the best. Well, John, hang on the line, and um, Eric will get your information. And watch it. He'll get your wallet, too, if you're not careful. Hey, but cut it out. <laughs> 
thank you, Ronnie, and happy birthday. Well, that's not my birthday, not today. Um, okay, I heard you say something about uh, finally reaching par. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, my birthday was uh, April 26th. And, uh, oh, okay. But, you know, I'm still accepting presents, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you'll hang on the line, Eric will get your information. We'll send that out okay. to the Ale House, and you can go eat out there $30 worth on us as soon as tomorrow. Okay. Thank you for listening, John. All right. Congratulations to John, our winner on the sports quiz tonight. And we were talking about old ballparks, and, Lou, you grew up in the Pittsburgh area. And one of the most interesting parks to me was Forbes Field. And the dimensions of that park versus PNC, the more modern version, you've done some research on that. Well, I did, Ronnie. And I, I just wanted to see if a home run – I knew the answer, I think, but I just <laughs> wanted to confirm to myself that was a, a, was a Willie Stargell home run, uh, you know, the same as a, as, as a current – Pirates home run and and uh, you know the the difference was just incredible. Forbes Field, uh, left cent- left field three hundred sixty five feet, left center four oh six, center four fifty seven, right center four oh eight, right field three seventy five. There were no cheap home runs. No, and you know the thing to me that I remember most about it. You know we only got a game one game a week back then. And I can remember they it was so deep in center field, then parking the batting cage out there and leaving it there. Yeah, yeah, and it was hit very infrequently. But I, I know Stargell did it uh, on more than one occasion. And uh, uh, but the the, uh, the difference between Forbes and PNC Park, and we're, of course we're skipping Three River Stadium, but uh, but PNC Park. Uh, 40 feet in left field, 23, 47, 33, 55 in right field. I mean, uh, there's a lot of home runs that uh, uh, a lot of balls that uh, would never have gone out of Forbes Field that just fly out (laughs) into the Allegheny River. Imagine you hit a 400-foot line drive back then into the power alley and left and he's six feet away from the fence. He's not even on the barely on the yeah, warning track. That's right. But when you think about 1960 and Mazeroski's home run, that was no cheap shot. No, that wasn't. That was like in the power. That was between left and left center, so that was around 400 feet. That was, yeah, that was a rocket. You know, being somebody that has always despised the Yankees, you know, one of the things that, that I loved about that is Yogi Berra was playing left field, and he knew it was gone, and he just kind of yeah. – he, he turned around and watched it go over the fence and the, the people running on the field mobbing Mazeroski. <laughs> yeah, that was really the first walk-off that I can remember, uh, true walk-off home run in a, in a World Series game. Well, think about how dramatic that was. Yeah. You're talking about the Pirates hadn't won in something like 40 years. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. And then, you know, the, the Yankees had outscored them 70, tremendously. 70 to 27. Yeah, and yeah. and yet they're tied 3-3 in games, and they had blown a lead in this game, if I remember right, because the, the Pirates were up 9-something. Uh, they were up 8-6. Uh, they were up 8-7. They were up 9. Uh, yeah, 8-7. And uh, the final score was 10-9. Yeah. And Gino Simoli, I remember his quote, of, they broke all the records, we win the game. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that was such a shock for the Yankees to lose. I mean, you go back to the 50s. I think they were in eight World Series, and they won like six of them or something. Yeah, they, they, were, they were incredible. Let's see, they weren't, they weren't in the 54 because that was the Indians, and they weren't in 59 because of the White Sox. But I think they were in every other yeah. World Series in the 50s. Just fill in the blank. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's how dominant they were back then. It's hard to imagine in today's world that they could have been that dominant, but they were. And it's always been the same thing. They've had more money. They were willing to spend it. And I think there's always been some favoritism toward them. I mean, you look at the Hall of Fame, some of the guys that are in the Hall of Fame, if they had played in Kansas City, they they couldn't have gotten the Hall of Fame. They couldn't have gotten in Cooperstown unless it was behind a broom. Well, I think the kind of the league kind of viewed it as – What's good for the Yankees is good for baseball. And I, I think there are probably franchises in every sport where that, you know, that could be the, the case. Well, in the 50s, there was no Los Angeles or San Francisco teams. That's true. You know, I, I grew up in Florida, and uh, I can remember the very first Major League Baseball game I went to. It was about, oh, I'd say 1971, somewhere in there. And we went to Old Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. The pitching matchup was – Jim Palmer and Burt Blylevin. Wow, that was my first Major League Baseball game. I'd Two seen Hall spring of training games. Yeah, wow, back in the day. Well, I tell you what, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking some more sports. Give us a call six eight two fourteen thirty. That's six eight two fourteen thirty. You're listening to Ronnie O and Cougar Lou, Talk Radio ninety six point seven WLKF. Hi, I'm Jason Odom, former Bartow Yellow Jacket. Florida Gator and Buccaneer. You're listening to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone. Ronnie O, Coach Joe in the Ozone. The Ozone is brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cold, hard cash. Let's get ready to do it. Coach Joe's out tonight. In the house is Ronnie and Lou. All right, Cougar Lou, Ronnie O. And uh, you just heard Jason Odom. He had one of the greatest lines ever on the Ozone. He's a firm Christian, and I asked him, I said, a lot of people say, Jason, that Christians can't be competitors. What do you? How would you answer that question? He said, well, he said, I'd say anybody that doesn't think a Christian can be a competitor never lined up in front of me. <laughs> and speaking of classics, on the line, Daryl, how you doing? Doing fine, old man. How's oh. everything going there? Oh, it's going well. Um, you know, my Medicare's got me a... Uh, going i'm all right well that's good i just wanted to make sure i didn't know whether you had heard the news but um we got the eric clark foundation tied in with jimbo fisher out there at texas a&m oh my goodness yep why am i the last one not to hear about this (laughs) (laughs) yep yeah we we decided we decided to throw our throw our weight out there so don't, don't anybody talk about buying players we don't buy players. We own players. That's right. Well, now, is he going to be able to deduct that? Well, we're, we're working on that. It would, it would be a miracle. Yeah. Well, as my <laughs> lawyer says, it's only illegal if you get caught. It's, if, if, they don't, if they don't win 10 games out there, we can deduct it as a casualty loss. <laughs> uh, can you depreciate the assets when – Absolutely. All right. Better, now, the problem with that is – is is you're wondering how long they stick around because they got to be there at least two years in order to appreciate them. <laughs> I'm never appreciated. What are you talking? Oh about? man, 
Well, Daryl, did you see that the Gators are going to play their first three games at night? I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I'm just waiting to see. I'm waiting with bated breath to see what's going to be happen up there this year. I am very uneasy. I am very uneasy. I agree with you. It's it's not a roster full of playmakers, but you know you you hope that Billy Napier is you know a Spurrier esque type strategist because he's going to have to really. And you better not get your quarterback hurt. If Anthony Richardson gets hurt, we're in big trouble there. Um, but, you know, who knows? He was left with a bad roster, and he'll just have to try to make up for that and buy some more players the way things are going now. Well, yeah, that and that's I, – I, I don't know what, whether he's added anything to that roster or not. We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. So is, is O'Sullivan going to be able to stick around, or are they going to go ahead and just finish cleaning house up there? I think I'd keep him another year. You know, he had the number one recruiting class in the country – um, last year, and some of these young pitchers are starting to come around. They didn't come around today. They got uh, mercy ruled ten nothing by Texas A and M, but it's double elimination, so yeah. they'll I get a chance on, to play yeah, tomorrow. I was on my way. I was on my way to a meeting in Bartow, and it was four to nothing when I started out, and it was ten to nothing when I got to Bartow. So it was your fault. It was all my fault. That's exactly right. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't, you know, that this deal with, you know, and they kept, you know, every every other player that came to play for Texas A&M had transferred in from somewhere else, and and it's just it's it's thrown a it's thrown a monkey wrench into everything. And it really has, and you know, the, the transfer thing, you can't let eighteen, nineteen year old kids run the operation, and that's basically what's happening. And it's only a matter of time before one of these kids says, "Hey, coach, I can't go to practice Thursday. I got to go shoot a commercial. I got to do this. Got to do that." And you know, in the press, if you don't go along with, oh, wait a minute, they're suppressing the rights of these kids. Well, what happened to accountability, son? You signed this scholarship. We're going to send you to college, and theoretically, you're a doctor, a lawyer, a CPA, architect. But you've got to go earn that. And if you don't do it, if you take basket weaving, that's not our fault. Listen, Ronnie, this started a long time ago. This started back when it was, the determination was made that college football was going to be the farm system for the NFL. Yeah, I agree. And I heard somebody say that, you know, unless it returns to the old days where recruiting was that you tacked up on every telephone pole tryouts for football Saturday at 2 p.m., well, you know, you, Ronnie, you and I were talking about this, and my feeling is that the uh, NFL should be, should uh, have to pony up and pay uh, and pay for all these college football players. This is their minor leagues. You know, uh, baseball has their minor league system. Well, the NFL has just taken complete advantage of the college uh, of the college game, and and with no overhead expense. You know, and. They, <laughs> Great, great what, point. What well, do you, you think know, of that, Daryl? Well, let me tell you something. I used to look at the situation of college baseball and say, you know what, they've got it right because the, the kid makes a choice coming out of high school and says, I'm either going to play a pro ball or I'm going to go to college. But you see the, the minor league teams, they're reducing the number of minor league teams now. Yep. yep. So you, you pretty much figure that the major leagues has got the, – the, 
the, the major league teams have this figured out. Yeah. Because a kid coming out of the SEC now, either with either in his third year or after after his second year or after his fourth year, is is double A level basically. Yeah. And so what you're looking at is you're looking at the, the college baseball is going to go the same direction. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's unfortunate because you know the concept of student. Ronnie, you know, when we were in Gainesville, the concept of student athlete was a, was a rare thing. Yeah. You didn't see you didn't see athletes in the classroom. I didn't no. see them. I did have a class with Lee McGriff, but there there weren't a whole lot of them. I remember I had one class. I don't remember who it was. One of the running backs, I think, in the seventies, and I saw his name on the roster, and I never saw him in class. And then when they had the grades posted, you know they. He had a B, and I'm like, wow, he must be pretty smart. <laughs> you know what they, what they used to do is they used to, they used to get tutors, and they used to cross the street from the stadium used to be those, um, those sheds or whatever they were, and they used to tutor them in those sheds over there. Yeah. I, I had a class with Gene Shy. Yeah, I remember him. Played he basketball. Yeah, Daryl, basket- we're out of time, but um, I appreciate you calling, and uh, tell my man Cody I said hello. Yeah, I was told to run the rest of your time because things were looking slow in there. <laughs> you, you're talking about my mentality? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, go Gators. Go Gators. Go Gators, Gators, yes, sir. Talk All to right. you later. Well, Cougar Lou, appreciate you coming in tonight and uh, filling in for Coach Joe. We've had a good time tonight. Hey, thank you, Ron. It's been a pleasure. All right.